Thank God. What a beautiful song. Amen. Amen. My goodness. Jesus, the healer of our wounds. Jehovah Rafi. He is the healer of our wounds. He can do that. That's what he does. He renews us. He blesses us. You know, the times we live in are very, very interesting. There's crises going on throughout the whole world. Speaking of the world, let us remember to pray for our dear brother, um, Carl Knott. Uh, he talked to Sylvia Nadel and uh, he expressed his, his thanks for all our encouragement. Uh, he was so blessed. You know, we assure him we were the ones who were blessed. But he was very blessed. He was very built up over the week. Uh, he only had one request, um, and that was to resist uh, emailing him. His email site is very, very limited um, and used exclusively for um, a lot of evangelical work, along with uh, translation of... Um, one of Bill McDonald's books to Spanish. So he said, I love everybody dearly, but please um, refrain from emailing him, and I know you will. Back to the world. The world is just in crisis, isn't it? Um, my goodness. The papers sell well these days because they're so full of bad news. And yet... And yet, in this country, people, on one hand, seem to be a little oblivious to that. It seems today that the public at large is becoming extremely obsessed with their image, their appearance. We see programs, ads, TV shows on weight loss, too numerous to count. The foods today are endless in our grocery stores for all kind, catering to all kinds of diets. Books and videos on dieting are available in abundance. Makeovers, this is the latest, makeovers are everywhere on the TV to take the homely and to transform them into beautiful people. Hence, the image is improved. Exercise equipment of all kinds can be purchased, and I mean all kinds. It's just amazing. And it would seem in today's world, while all else is perishing around us, having the correct image right now is everything. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in your name, Lord Jesus, and in your power that we pray to our Heavenly Father. And this morning we pray that as we look at your word, your precious word, your word that is just beyond cost, it is precious. 
We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We pray that you might work in our hearts, in our spirits, in our hearts, in our souls this morning and challenge us, encourage us, uplift us, and if necessary, rebuke us. But we pray this and we look to you our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. The, che- the text I've chosen today is Galatians 2.20, and I'll give you a moment to turn there. It's extremely familiar to most Christians who've been with the Lord for a while. But it's a wonderful verse of scripture to explain what takes a place in the life of a believer when he accepts Jesus Christ as Lord. The title of today's message is simply Christians versus counterfeit Christians. And we will explain that and hopefully it will become apparent as we continue through today's message. But Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writing to the Galatians, says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture today. Another word we might use today that we're going to look at is a comparison of a true, born-again, genuine Christian versus what I like to call an image Christian. First, we will look at the genuine Christian. The real genuine Christian delights himself in the Lord, in his word, in prayer, and in personal growth in Christ Jesus. This is what a true believer desires. He delights in the Lord. Psalm 37 verses 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And in Psalm 19, verse 14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The true Christian also delights in God's word. God's word. This is a precious companion to them that walk with God. It is so precious that a true believer 
feels lost without it. I might add a true believer who's walking with God. There are those who are saved and yet not walking with the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 11, one of my favorites says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And Hebrews 4.12, I think, explains as good as any verse of Scripture what this Word of God can do in the life of not only the saved, but the unsaved. It says, Thy Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let me just say here now, it is not necessary for you to try and keep up with the scriptures as we go through. It's not my intent for you to turn to each and every one of them. If someone wants a copy, they can receive it later for free. Maybe I should pay you. Also, the the true Christian who's walking with Jesus delights in prayer to his God. If there is a more confused area in the Christian life, it is prayer. Make no mistake about it. God abhors flowery words When someone is praying out loud to impress others, guess what? God does not hear it. Because he knows the intentions of the Christian. He knows the intentions of them that are speaking aloud in prayer. It is simply, prayer is simply having a conversation with the one you love. A respectful, a reverent conversation with God, nonetheless, but a conversation. And he is happy and he is around 24-7 anytime you wish to discuss anything with him. He delights in hearing the saved speak with him. And my favorite chapter in the Bible is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is in its entirety a prayer of David's to God. It is once he was confronted by Nathan and exposed the horrible sin with Bathsheba and putting to death her husband And this was exposed. This man fell to his knees in such repentance, in seeking such forgiveness, and that's when he penned this psalm. In verses 10 and 12, since the first time I read it years and years ago, I pray it every day of my life. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. This is how we should be when we converse with our God. First Thessalonians is another wonderful portion of scripture in chapter five, verses 16, 17 and 18. If you want a recipe for a victorious life in Christ, this is it. Go no farther. The application, however, at times might you might find it difficult. But nonetheless, it is a guarantee for a victorious life in Jesus Christ. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what? Amen. It's it's God's will for every believer to rejoice always. No matter what our difficulties, no matter what our situations, we are to rejoice not in the situation, but in Him who is with us in the situation, in the difficulty. Pray without ceasing simply means conversing with your God Not only in those precious times before we leave in the morning, we have that time, don't we, of devotion and prayer before we ever step out of our home. If you don't, you should. But throughout the day, he's there waiting to converse with us. He's waiting to hear from us. To only talk to him in the very beginning of the day, in the very end of the day, is selling your Savior short. And everything give thanks. Wow. There's a toughie. And yet he tells us that that's God's will for our life. And if we do it, we will be blessed. And one of the last things that's so important in the Christian life is we should have a desire for personal growth in him, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, but I, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do that which you please. A missionary once down in, I believe it was Arizona, was talking to um, a Christian Indian. He had converted the missionary. And he was saying to him, how are you doing? How are you doing with Jesus? And he said, well, I walk around with a black dog and I walk around with a white dog. And he goes... Okay, he says, the black dog is my flesh, the white dog is my spirit, the spirit of God. Today is a good day. I've been feeding the white dog. But sadly, some days I make the mistake of feeding the black dog. God tells us, give no opportunity to the flesh. 
Reckon it dead every day. And the only way we can reckon it dead, kill it, put it under every morning, is turning the flesh over to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, have thy will with my life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, another one of my favorite, tells us how we should live a victorious life in Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is a recipe to live a wonderful life in Christ. A song I love, one of my favorites. See, and I can do this today because I'm up here. If you're up here, you can deal with your favorites. But today you have to listen to my favorites. Hopefully they are your favorites, or if they're not, they will become. Because you'll be okay if these are your favorites. It's a wonderful song. It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. At the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold, not a might would I withhold. Francis Havergal, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, wrote this song, and she was a very popular songwriter in England. When she submitted this song to the publisher, they asked her to come in. Normally they just printed her, her songs and moved on with life, but they asked her to come in. They sat her down and they said, we have something very disturbing that you've done. And we must ask you to take this verse out of the song. For it will offend many. We know that for it offended us. This is an area that we should not be dealing with in the Christian life. And it had to do with take my silver and my gold. Not a might would I withhold. Not a mite would I withhold. And so we'd just like you to sign this and then we'll print the song. She said, I couldn't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. For I believe my, my Savior inspired me to write every word of this song. Then they told her, we can no longer be your publishers. She went from publishing house to publishing house with no success. Everyone had the same response. But there was a little publisher and a man who heard about her plight and sent her a note to come in and see him. 
And so she did. And when he read that verse, he said, well, I would not only be privileged, I would be honored to print this for you. And the rest is history. This song caused revivals in churches because of the third verse of Scripture, because it challenged many who up to that point really never understood that God was in charge of their income. And the last verse says, Take my love, my God, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, only all for thee. And a quote that says, There could be no growth if there were not something planted until the new man is born or begotten, the soul abideth in death, and therefore it cannot grow. And here is the difficulty for some who make professions in Christ, but there is no spirit of God and there is no transformation that takes place. It's nothing more than a profession. And so the people struggle with the concept of leading the Christian life because they are not truly born again. We're going to take a moment now to contrast the true Christian with the image Christian. And keep in mind that as an image Christian, all people who are not saved in Christian churches are under this classification and are the vast majority under this classification. Sadly, however, there are some genuinely born again Christians who've chosen not to let the Lord have his way with their life and they end up following in the same pattern. Because if you're not willing to let God take your life and transform your life, you will compensate by building an image that you think is correct. Love, grace, and mercy, the opposite of which is hatred and unloving. The love spoken here about is God's love. We have love. We have love for others. We have a love within a marriage between a man and his wife. That's a different kind of love. But the third love, which comes under the Greek word agape, is a very sacrificial love that only comes when we are truly born again. And the Spirit of God comes to indwell us. Then we have this precious love that enables us to love back when love is not given. In fact, to love back when we receive hatred and worse. But in Christ, we love in spite. That's the love of spoken here. Those who aren't Christians struggle with this terribly. Or those who are backslidden. The opposite of joyfulness in the Christian life is sadness. Peace versus anger. And anger can contain outbursts of anger can contain strife and wrath. It is a struggle. Because unless you are born again, 
You do not have the peace of God. That comes in when a life is truly saved. Once we're saved, however, to continue in our daily walk, we have to have peace with God. And if you're not pleasing to God, if you're not honoring God, you have no peace. So you have the peace and the salvation, but you don't have peace on your daily life. And those that aren't saved, they just have no peace. It's a concept that they struggle with trying to understand, trying to get themselves into a spirit of, oh, I am, yeah, I have peace, but they have no comprehension of it, as we didn't before we were saved. It is a gift from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God. The opposite of hope is despair. Patience, impatience. Kind and compassionate, the opposite is brutal, cruel, and harsh at best. Gentleness versus harshness, meanness, reckless, treacherous. Good, simply the opposite of good, is evil. And evil doesn't have to be some diabolical, just outward manifestation of something just horrifically horrible. It can be with a smile. It can be something done that is evil. That's so subtle. It is the spirit of good versus evil. Faithful, simply unfaithful. Self-control. One of the fruits of the spirit that is so marvelous is when we are saved, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. It's awesome what God can do in us where in the past we had no control. The opposite is impulsive and without self-control. We can go on rampages of impulsive eating, buying, whatever. Immoral acts. There is no control over them. No one thing that when you're saved, God changes our life. He gives us a new life. There are things that take place in our life that are so obvious to those around us, especially to the unsaved. Wow. The sad thing is down the road, when that Christian gets stubborn or falls into sin and refuses to repent but rebels, the old sins come back. The old ways come back. And the testimony is totally damaged with the unsaved. And so some have tasted some of these, and yet those who have backslidden that are truly saved end up back where they were. And for the unsaved, it's where they've always been. They may put on an act. They may have the best of intentions to be good, to be kind, to be generous. It doesn't last. Godliness versus holding to a form of godliness, although denying its power, of which weak women are weighed down with sins. When this is a, this is a scripture, this is not my writing from Colossians. This is what takes place when we try and be godly. The outcome will be a failure. 
holy, pure, set apart in a thirst for God versus unholy, immoral, impure, seeker of pleasure, lustful, sensual, and a hunger for passion. The opposites are striking. The life of a believer is one who is obedient, who desires to be accountable, finds an older, more mature Christian to sit with and learn from and be able to go to and say, I had a problem. This is what took place. They're eager. They're eager to learn. They're eager to be corrected. But the carnal Christian or the unsaved are disobedient at best and truly rebellious. In fact, very possibly they're saying today if they're here, that's his opinion. I disagree. That's not me. That's what they do. Well, I disagree with that teaching. I have a different interpretation. The carnal become experts in the word of God. The carnal become experts at doctrine. All the time, it's simply a mockery before God. And he says, God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, so also shall he reap. Who are we fooling here? Us? Big deal. The Almighty knows. He knows everything. Time will prove that out. This person, the rebellious person, the unteachable person, is never accountable Never follows counsel unless they agree completely from the beginning or it's exactly what they were hoping for. Oh, yes, I'll follow that counsel. But the minute the counsel tells them to kill it, that they're headed in the wrong direction, that this isn't going to benefit themselves or those who are with them, ah, it's their opinion. The true Christian is teachable, willingly accepts rebuke. Doesn't enjoy it. No one enjoys being rebuked or corrected, but willingly accepts it. Versus the carnal or the unsaved, which aren't teachable. It says learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Things are never their fault. They're always on the defensive. They easily go on the attack when confronted. Someone else is always at fault. It's the circumstances of the situation that's caused this to happen, not me. I don't do things wrong. It's them. And they will just go on a campaign to vindicate themselves. But the godly, even though they may not see clearly everything that's involved, easily just turn it over to God. Obedient versus Rebelling, telling the truth, telling a lie. What an epidemic in the Christian church today. As we hear some of the most noted speakers like Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers and others of how carnal Christians have come to finding how easy it is just to tell a lie. Well, I just didn't, I didn't tell the whole truth. And the more you lie, the easier it becomes. Except God is not with you in this. God is quenched. Your life is empty.
but they just go on. The righteous, they have integrity. They are honorable. The unrighteous are dishonorable, dishonest, crooked, and in crooked dealing. The difference, the contrast again. There is the humble versus the arrogant and the boastful. There is the thankful versus the ungrateful. There is genuous, genuine, genuine giving versus greedy and lovers of money. The carnal, the carnal and the unsaved that are trying to become or look like a Christian have such a hard time with this. The truly saved, they don't even hesitate. The minute they get their check, the first thing they do is they put that 10% or whatever they give down. Boom. Out of the way. It's a done deal. It's not even an option. Don't even think about it. It just happens. It's instinctive. They were taught that. Teachable. Take care of it. Oh, how the carnal and the unsaved struggle with this area. I have other things I can do with that money. Do you realize what I can do with that money? I'm not given that money. And when there's a household with the saved versus the unsaved or a Christian walking with God versus a Christian who's carnal, oh, the warfare that takes place over this subject. Newsflash. God doesn't need our money. He laughs. He's wealthy. He's rich. He owns everything. Just a whole lot of people haven't figured that out yet. Hello. There's this piddly little amount down there. We don't have time, but I'm going to tell you something anyway. Quickly. There's this guy. It's a joke. Okay, it's no truth in this other than the principle. He so wanted to take all his gold with him to heaven. His pastor told him, can't do it. They went back and forth and back and forth, three years back and forth. And then he wasn't, he wasn't well. He had been given the news that he was going to die. But he asked him to come over and he says, I've made my peace with God. No, guess what? He said, what? I found a way to take my gold with me to heaven. Pastor said, okay. And sure, he passed on. And there he was. He came to the gates and there was Peter. Yeah, Peter's always at the gates. And he's dragging this bag of gold. Never before has anybody seen, Peter seen anybody showing up. And oh yeah, he got his he got his whites, you know, he was he was transformed, but he's dragging this bag of gold and what on earth is this? Oh, I I couldn't leave this behind. I needed this. Now unless you know scriptures really well, you may not get this. I'll explain afterwards, so don't feel bad if people laugh and you don't. It's okay. He says, Well, let me take a peek. So Peter opens it up and looks and he goes, You brought pavement up here? Pavement, huh? He goes, look, look, look. The streets are paved with gold in heaven, in case you didn't know that. Now you know that, okay? So next time you'll laugh, okay? It's just amazing. Greed, what a horrible thing. The Christian has learned to be generous. The carnal or the unsaved have a really hard time with being generous. And you know what sometimes they use? They just love to use the carnal. They love to use the principle of Scripture in this way. I'm just a good steward. 
I'm a good steward. So I save that money for the Lord. Or if they ask to give us something, I'll, yeah, they put it down. You know, generous, they don't even understand the concept. Somebody's in need. There. You know, but no more because I'm a faithful steward. It's the only time they're faithful, by the way. It's amazing. The Christian is an encourager in word and in speech and in deed. The carnal, sadly, and the unsaved are malicious, malicious slanderers. They're gossipers. And they're one who are abusive in speech. They delight to trip others. The righteous are happy in seeing the success of others. They genuinely are just so rejoicing. The carnal are jealous and envious. Their life is wrapped up in jealousy and envy. The righteous are ones who love others, who aren't necessarily lovable. We talked about this before. Versus the carnal and the unsaved are simply lovers of self. It's all about self. The Christian loves to see Christians come over to their home. Loves to open their home. Loves to have fellowship. Ask the the leadership, who can I help? Who can I encourage? That's their desire, to have people over. The carnal and the unsaved, their homes are closed. A woman wrote a book once called Open Heart, Open Home. I may have that switched. The true Christian wants to open their home. They want to find opportunities to have people over and have good fellowship together. The carnal simply are always saying, no one ever invites us over. We're never invited over. The Christian doesn't wait around for that. The Christian isn't bothered when he's not invited over. And last, the Christians are worshipers of God. The carnal and the unsaved are worshipers of flesh, the world, and the things of the world. There today is such a mad love affair with possessions and the building of possessions and the inquiring of possessions and the smugness and the boasting and the pride that's involved in all of this is so wrong. There is nothing wrong with having a nice home. There's nothing wrong with having nice cars. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes. The difference is they just live for it. They live for the acquiring of the things. And Christ and God take a far back seat to those things. In conclusion, there is a great difference between, again, we said, a true Christian from an image Christian. There's simply no comparison. And remember, the vast majority of image Christians are the unsaved. They simply aren't saved. They've made a profession, sometimes just to please a spouse or to please others or friends or neighbors or co-workers. They make a profession, 
but there's nothing there. They hold on to it. They come in. They go through the motions. But they are nothing more than building what they believe should be the image of a Christian. And they never realize that it is such a stark contrast between between the truly born again and those that aren't. And the vast majority are not saved. However, it is sad that there are carnal Christians that are too rebellious to let God have his way in their life on a regular basis. And so the struggle ensues, and they too start building what they believe should be the image of a Christian. I think I should do this. I think I should show this. I think I should say that. Okay? It's all about should. Versus the true Christian, it's just instinctive. Things happen because Jesus is happening in their life. The unsaved refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They simply make a false profession of faith in Christ and are quickly on their way to developing this image of what they believe a Christian should be. The sad thing is their life is empty, their life is sad, their life is dry, their life is so not everything it could be. But the real tragedy is when they die, they will go to hell. The carnal will just arrive in heaven in shame. It will be sad as they go to the judgment seat for rewards, there will be none. Everything will be hay, wood, and stubble because of their stubbornness, their rebellious life. But the unsaved will die and go to hell. We will all see them at the great white throne. We will be with our Lord. He will be the judge. And you will see multitudes like you've never seen multitudes falling into the abyss of hell. It can't be described. If you've ever seen a movie where you see just a mass of humanity, a movement of humanity that they've, they've shown, it is nothing. Times it by a million. Because millions will have refused the free gift of God and will go into the abyss in judgment. He will say to them these horrible words, I never knew you. What a horrible thing. Whereas the true Christian, the real and obedient Christian, not only will he have a blessed life here with Christ, but we will be with him forever. We will be with him forever. Every person is forever. There is no died. You're down in the dirt and that's it. You will either be in heaven or you will be in total torment forever. The gnashing of teeth, it says, because it is so unbearable. Constantly. Forever. It will never stop. The person who chooses that is simply insane. When given the opportunity to accept the free gift of eternal life. Let's pray. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I ask you to simply take a moment and think about today's message.
and contemplate and see if God has talked to you about your life. The wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is it's never too late. We heard this morning he's in the, pro- he's in the business of repairing lives, restoring lives, transforming lives. If you don't know him this morning, you can come to know him. He can take your life. You can leave your old life with all that entailed behind, whether that included a religious life or one without religion, just full of sin. Either way, he can give you a new life. He can give you eternal life. If you're a Christian and you've seen yourself that you aren't where you should be, you're, you're not where you once were, you can simply say to him, Lord Jesus, forgive me, help me, restore me. And he is and will continue to be faithful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We just ask that you would bless your word, bless the reading of your scripture, touch lives, Lord Jesus, simply for your glory and your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.